Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. Once again, I have a word from the Lord. God dropped this in my spirit on Monday. And what's funny is, is every time this happens, as it gets closer to Sunday, I begin to question whether or not God actually did put it in my spirit. And I start looking at other messages and other things that I could say. And I, uh, I couldn't get away from it. I really couldn't get away from it. And then at one point, somebody reminded me, just one second, I'm trying to load it all here. <clears throat> somebody who said, well, actually it was pastor. He said, man, just preach the word. And I said, all right, I'll just preach the word. And I'm so, I'm so excited. And if you are going to preach with me, would you just clap your hands one more time and just say, I'm going to preach with the preacher today. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Speaking about you, speaking about me, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's not it. It says that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, God. He didn't just say you're a call, a generation, a royal priesthood, a holiness. He said, but you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of, anybody in here got called out of darkness uh, into his marvelous light? Anybody else remember the dark place that God brought you out of and he said, you don't got to dwell there no more, but you can have this marvelous light? That's you. That's me. Hallelujah. Romans 1 and 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For, uh, you know why I'm not ashamed of the gospel and what's in that book? You know why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Uh, not, so you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood who should show forth the praises of, his, of, your, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But not just that. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of this. Are you ashamed? Because <laughs> I'm not. 
What this book has in it, what I'm not ashamed of, is because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God, I praise you right now and I lift you up. Lord, I hope that you help us today. I hope that you bring power and glory to your people. And I pray, oh Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon all flesh and that your sons and daughters today would begin to prophesy. I pray, Lord, right now, send a mighty rushing wind into this place and let us, oh, God, be who you called us to be. Allow us, oh Lord, to be who you called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray and we all shout amen. I'm going to preach for you tonight who we are. I'm going to preach to you tonight or today who we are. Are. <laughs> you may be seated in Jesus' name, but as you're being seated, turn to your neighbor and said, Who are we? There we go. Huh. Who are we? Now, <clears throat> identity is defined as the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. In this crazy world that we are living in today, people are looking for their identity. It's what we call, or what I call, and what actual people with good degrees and, and knowledge in this world would call an identity crisis. Unless you have been living under a rock, people all over are unsure whether or not they are the gender they were born with. There's a whole movement out there that's saying men can be women and women can be men. And other than that, there are thousands of genders and you must identify them as such. They say they, them, z, zem, cisgender, non-binary, gender fluid, and much more. And here's the kicker. If you do not identify them as such, it's go time. They will call you out and try to humiliate you. They will call you a bigot and many other words that I choose not to say. But you know why? Because identity is important in this world. And what you identify tells someone everything they need to know about you. So identity and knowing who you are is so important. With that being said, I want to be the first and I certainly won't be the last behind this pulpit to say that this church, we are apostolic. We identify as apostolic Pentecostals. We identify as worshipers of the Most High God. We identify as children of God. And if you believe what this preacher is saying, would you just shout yes? We identify as the people who have repented of our sins and have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Our identity is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy people. Where our identity is the people and child of the King. We 
identify as the one God, the one God people who know that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, and that there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through us all. That's what we identify as. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. Before I get too far in the excitement of who we are, I want to explain it just in case you didn't know. Here's the thing. This is, it not, this is not my opinion, nor is this my ideas. But everything that I believe within my soul, everything that I live, that I try to do, that I try to be, is in the word of God. It's what thus saith the word of the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be ashamed of what God calls me to be. I'm not going to sit here and, and try to be ashamed that God calls me to be these things. And if you believe me and you agree, say out yes. Listen, I'm here to tell you right now, the devils ain't hiding no more. And, and if the devils are in your face, they're all over Facebook, Instagram, the news channels. They're in movies, TV shows, and music. Here's why. Just as they acted out when Jesus was on the scene, they would say, why are you here? Why are you here before my time? It's not my time yet. What are you doing? They know the same thing I know, that Jesus is coming back soon. And they know what waits for them. There's a hell that they're going to. And they don't want to go alone. So they're Amplifying their efforts. And they're not afraid. Mm -mm. So why should we, the people of God, and here's my answer to them that are coming in our face. It's time for the church to stand up and not to be timid anymore. We should not be afraid to be holy. We shouldn't be afraid to pray and let people know that we love Jesus. For we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the Power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Who we are. Who we are. We are apostolic. Pentecostal. What does that mean? Let's break it down for people who may not know exactly what it means. Apostolic means that's, that we believe what the apostles taught, what's other known, what are known wise, the apostle, apostles' doctrine. It means that we believe that everything the apostles taught in the New Testament, and in case you think that the apostles' doctrine is something I made up, Acts 2.42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What is the doctrine? Well, to answer that is to also answer what is Pentecost. Pentecostal means that we believe what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 says, and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Hallelujah. Uh, that's who we are. 
That's what we believe. And not just but a few verses later, after Peter preached being full of the Holy Ghost, he was asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter stood up in Acts 2.38 and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Not some of you, not just a select few, but every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the same thing that I got. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so now, here's where we become a little controversial to the world. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? It's easy. Acts chapter 10, verse 45 through 46. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the Holy Ghost. Now listen, I was having a Bible study with Joshua, brother Joshua and sister Marissa, and they were wanting to know more about the Holy Ghost. And we began to study it out. And when I read this verse, I said this. I said, look, the Gentiles, they were people that the God's people did not enjoy. They did not like. They saw them as heathens. They couldn't believe that God would pour out his spirit upon them. But it wasn't just some, hey, I feel the spirit of the Lord on me. Or, hey, I feel like that. No, no, no. The verse says this. They were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because on that, the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Go to the next verse. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost. How do they know that these heathens got the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Look, that's not me. That's Bible. How do they know these heathens got the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak in other tongues and magnify God. And you know what? We'll take it a little bit further. How about that, huh? Acts 19, verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, speaking about the, 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 the disciples of John, it says when Paul had laid his hands upon him, the Holy Ghost came on them. But it didn't just stop there. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. Look. It's easy. You don't just get this fuzzy feeling when you get the Holy Ghost. You don't just accept the Lord as your personal Savior and sign a card and saying, I've got the Holy Ghost. But you know what? You got the Holy Ghost because you spoke in tongues, baby. You spoke, and it wasn't you that was speaking in tongues, but it was the Spirit giving the utterance to you. It was the Spirit feeling you and saying, let me take that thing that you cannot tame and let me do something miraculous in you. Let me allow to speak in other tongues. I didn't know if I was going to share this story, but I was telling, again, Brother Joshua and Sister Marissa, I said, I don't know if you pay attention to what happens, but uh, at Faith Tabernacle, if you think that if you think that speaking in tongues is just something that we make up or that we do, and it's not a supernatural act, I'm about to prove it to you right now. In Faith Tabernacle, they had this lady. She was dead, or she was dumb. She couldn't speak. It was scientifically impossible for her to speak. She cannot speak. And Brother Connor began to stand up and he began to preach. And he said, started talking. He had no idea this lady. I don't think he had an idea that this lady was here. He just felt what the 
the Lord had given him. And so he began to preach that bees can fly. And I told, and he began to say that it's scientifically impossible that bees can fly because the proportion of their body to their wings is not right. They should not be able to fly. But you know what God said one day? I'm going to let the bumblebee fly. And I don't care what science says because I'm just going to let it fly. And the Holy Ghost began to move in that place. And that lady who could not speak, that lady who was dumb, founded, and she could not speak, she walked up to the front. And what the scientists would have said was impossible. God said, I can do it. And she began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. You don't tell me what God cannot do. He can take the dumb and he can make them speak. He can heal the deaf ears and make them. Come on. Do I am I in an apostolic Pentecostal house that believes when you receive the Holy Ghost, you speak in tongues? I'm not, I know I'm holding, I'm, I'm pushing, I'm, 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 I'm not holding back any shots today. I'm trying to remind someone who we are in this place. Everybody say, I'm apostolic. I'm Pentecostal. And if you're not, then you can be. For this promise is for them, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This wasn't just a promise for me, but this is for everybody. Everybody could identify as an apostolic Pentecostal with the same experience as I have. Who are we? We are holy. Mm. Let me put it like this, actually. We are to be holy. For the scripture said in 1 Peter 1.16, be ye holy, for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, first off, let me say this. You cannot be holy without the Holy Ghost. It's by the Holy Ghost that helps us to live holy, to act holy, and to be holy. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. But yet Jesus clothes us with his righteousness. Second, holy or holiness means the state of being holy. Holy, dedicated, or consecrated to God's purpose. To be separate or set apart. Uh. If we're going to be holy as God has us to be holy, this means we are to be separated from sin. We are to be separated from the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Jesus said in John 15 and 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hateth you. What does it mean to be separated from the world? This means that we don't walk like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't dress like the world. We don't do what the world does. That is why right now more than ever, our men should dress like men and women should dress like women. I may be the only one and I may get a lot of feedback for this. But as I said before, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I have Bible. I have chapter. I have verse. But I still believe our men should be short hair and our women should have uncut hair. I still believe men should wear pants and women should wear skirts or dresses. I still believe God made everyone in his image. So I believe a woman should not wear makeup, but let the world see the beauty that God has given her. 
Listen, I'm telling you, this isn't my thoughts. I know this is hard preaching, but it's the truth. The world has done nothing but tell women how disgusting you look. And that the only way you can be beautiful is if you stick something on your face to cover up your imperfections. Honestly, in God's eyes, you are perfect. And God sees you just as he created you to be. Listen, I bet the Mona Lisa was painted and a lot of people had their opinions and said, wow, you could have done a lot better. More paint could have been here and more color could have been there. But despite what everyone else thought, Leonardo da Vinci said, no, it's beautiful. I want it to be just like that. I wouldn't change a thing. It's time that we, as wholly separated unto God, that we live in his purpose. And if they ask us, why do you do that, ladies? Why do you do that, men? You say, look, I don't care if it offends you. I don't care if it hurts you. I ain't doing it for you, but I'm doing it unto the Lord. If it hurts you and you're wondering why I wear skirts or why I wear dresses or why men wear, have their short, short hair or don't do whatever, you just say, look, buddy, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him because one day I'm going to walk in through those pearly gates. And when I walk in, I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done, well done, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you just clap your hands and love the Lord right now? Number one, if somebody asks you why you do that, you don't need that to be saved. I'll give you two things to tell them, and I, I already kind of explained that. But the first scripture is that you say the scripture says I must be holy. That's number one. And number two, again, I don't do this for you. I don't do this for anyone, but I do it for the Lord. It's do it, I do it to him. It's pleasing to God. I want to be a God pleaser. Somebody shout, we are holy. Is this okay? <clears throat> the reason why I'm preaching like this today, like I said, I, I believe God dropped this in my spirit because there's such an identity crisis in this world. And the church should not have an identity crisis. The church should know who exactly who we are. We should be able to stand up flat-footed against a world that is coming against us. And we should be able to say we are apostolic. We are Pentecostal. We are holy. For God says to be holy. And again, one more. I got a couple more here. It says we are oneness. <clears throat> what does oneness mean? <clears throat> oneness is defined as the fact or state of being one in number. Who are we? We are oneness people who believe that Jesus is God Almighty who robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. Nowhere in scripture will you find the term Trinity. The Trinity wasn't developed till Tertullian used it 200 years after Jesus. The apostles were monotheistic, and the Jews today are still monotheistic. Now, I know that's a million-dollar word, but this is what it means. It believes that there's only one God. Trinity, 
defined is a group of three people or things. The state of being three. If you were to look up the Trinity doctrine in its entirety, this is what it says. And this is a quote from a Stanford encyclopedia of philosophy. It says a Trinity doctrine is commonly expressed as the state that one God exists as or in three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every term in the statement, God exists as in or equally divine person, has been variously understood. The guiding principle has been the credential declaration that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of the New Testament are co-substantial, i.e. the same in substance or in essence, Greek, homo uh, uh, homoasis, uh, being the shared substance or essence is a divine one. This is understood to imply that all three named individuals are divine and equally so. Yet in three, in some sense, are the one God of the Bible. One site said it like this. Uh, what is the Trinity doctrine in a nutshell? There is one God eternally existing in three persons. Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. These persons, these three persons of the Godhead are co-equal and co-eternal. This was Christianity.com. They quoted this. They said, having said that, I admit that there no one fully understands it. It is a mystery. It is a paradox. Yet I believe it's true. Well, let me give you some scripture. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power and Godhead. That one verse, that one person quoted, we can't understand it. We don't know how it works. But I'm here to tell you, Paul wasn't confused. Peter wasn't confused. Jude wasn't confused. James wasn't confused. The apostles weren't confused. Because everything that's understood in this world declares his eternal power and Godhead. And so we look, we've got no excuse. The Godhead can be explained in one simple name, Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus is the Father in creation. Jesus is the Son in redemption. And Jesus is the Holy Ghost in this church today. It's all Jesus. It's all in him. It, oh, man. You want to make the devils tremble? Start quoting one God's scriptures. You know why? Because even the devils know and they tremble that there's only one God. Azzy, where are you at? Where's Azzy? Azariah, oh, somebody go get my son, because we're about to have church up in here. I don't know if he's in the bathroom calling me saying I need help or what. He might be. Either way, I want to tell you that I've been teaching my children scripture, and not just any scripture, but I've been teaching them one God's scriptures. And if he was in here right now, you know what he would say? I would say, son... Tell me what First Corinthians, or first, there he is. Come here, boy. I need your help. I need you to say First Timothy 3.16. For thou comes mercy, grace, mystery, godliness. For God is manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen through the angels, preached in the Gentiles, believed unto the world, and see the big world. 
Did you hear that? Wait, 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 I need your help again. For without, stay right there. For without controversy. You can't argue it. You can't fight it. You can't tell me anything different. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest, not some second person in the Trinity, not some second co-equal, co-eternal, co-being, but it was God manifest in the flesh and it was justified in the spirit. He was seen of the angels, preached unto the Gentiles and believed unto the world, received up in glory. Come here, I need you to preach one more time. Are you ready? He's preaching. Colossians 2.9. Are you ready? For in him. For in him doth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily made complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. You can't argue with him. For in him who Jesus dwelleth all. Not just some, not just a bit, not just a little bit, but all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth bodily in Jesus. So it's not a shame to say that I serve Jesus, the one God of the Bible. He is the Father in creation, the Son of redemption, and the Holy Ghost within me. Would somebody shout? Jesus. Woo! Come on, would you just give praise unto that one God? Would you just give praise unto him? Oh! Come on, I feel the Lord moving in this place already. Oh, we serve you, Jesus. We serve you, Jesus. Oh, we know you're not split up into three, but you are one. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to see the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but we're going to see Jesus in his entirety sitting upon a throne. Oh, getting ready to open the books. And... more point and I'm done on this part. If you read from the beginning to the end, because we read left to right, correct? We read beginning of a book and to the end of the book. I'm saying this because I've argued with people who when they try to read the New Testament, what they do is they try to read the New Testament first and see when you when you read the New Testament first, you can you can prove a trinity. You can try to go ahead and prove that there's three gods or that there's three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, but and the Father and the Son, the Holy Ghost. But what you're really supposed to do is read it from the Old Testament to the New. And when you do it the right way, you will find throughout all of the Old Testament, you will see that God said, I'm alone. There's no one beside me. There's no one before me. There's no one after me. I've searched and I can't find no other gods. It's only me. And God says, you know what? I'll have to do, I'm going to come and rescue you. God said, I will come and be there with you. I will heal you. I will deliver you and I will be your God. And if you read the old to the new, you will find that Jesus was God walking around doing everything he said he would do. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. He gave blinded eyes open and deaf ears and stop. And Jesus is my God. Hallelujah. Everyone say we are oneness. Finally, who are we? We are born again believers. 
I'm a firm believer that you must be born again of the water and of the spirit or you cannot see the kingdom of God. And before you sit there and call and say that hate speech and it's not my words, people. It's not what I'm saying. It's not my opinion. It's not my thought. But it was Jesus who said it. John chapter 3 through 3 through 5 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now there's a lot of people out there that will tell you, no, it, 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 that's not talking about water. That's not talking about being baptized. That's not talking about the Holy Ghost. That's just talking about a second birth. And you know what I say to those? You sound just like Nicodemus did. Because this is what Nicodemus said. Can we enter into our mother's womb a second time when she is old or when he is old? Can he enter the, the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus wasn't confused about this. Jesus didn't sit there and be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But you know what Jesus said? He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Again, I was, we were at that Bible study, and I told you, bro, I told you that I had, or when we were talking about I said, you guys, I don't know if you remember, but I said, y'all are confirming my word for Sunday. You remember that? Because I didn't, listen, when they came to my house and they wanted a, we were doing dinner on a Bible study, I didn't say, hey, I have this Bible study set up here and I'm going to teach you about the Holy Ghost. I said, what do you want to learn more about? And they said, teach us about the Holy Ghost. And we got on this subject of John, say, in John chapter 3. And I began to say, look, if it wasn't the water and of the Spirit, he probably would have said, unless a man be born again of the water, then he shall not enter the kingdom of God. Or maybe he shall say, unless a man be born again of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But obviously there's something there that Jesus is trying to say that says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus had pretty strong words. What does it mean to be born again? We kind of already answered that earlier, but it means you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. Jesus said that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Peter said when he asked what they need to do to get the guilt and the shame washed off of them in the book of Acts, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now the reason I covered oneness was because of this. Because we believe Jesus is the Father in creation, the Son of redemption, and the Holy Ghost in the church. So when he said in Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and baptize everyone in the name of, of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost. He wasn't separating the people. But he, was, he didn't say, you could talk to any English professor. You could talk to my wife who grammatically corrects me on everything I say or write on Facebook or Instagram. Because I can't spell and I don't have good grammar. But I could tell you right now, she could tell you. It doesn't say names. Hello? It doesn't say go ye therefore and baptize everyone in the names of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. No, 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 no. It says in the name, singular. Who is the name of the Father? It's Jesus. Who is the name of the Son? Jesus. Who is the name of the Holy Ghost? It's Jesus. And listen, right now I'm here to tell you, right here. That it says Jesus believed that you got to be baptized. And so I will bet you, 
I could bet you all kinds of money. I will bet you $500 if you could tell me in one place where they baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I can guarantee you right now, you'll not, you, I will never give you that money. You know why? Because you won't find it. You won't find anywhere in the scripture where they baptized in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Ghost. But you know what you will find? You'll find in several different places that they, when they took them, they put them in the water and they said, in the name of Jesus. I baptize them in the name of Jesus. We are baptized in the name of Jesus. For the scripture says, neither is there any salvation under any other name by which we are saved. It's in the name of Jesus that we take on and get his glory. And many people will say, well, baptism is a work, and you're not saved by your works, but by grace. Yes, you're right. We aren't saved by works, but I don't believe baptism is a work, but I believe it was a command from Jesus. He said in 1 Peter chapter 3, this is Peter's words, chapter 3 and verse 20, which sometimes were obedient or disobedient when once the long suffering of God awaited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing within few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure where unto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism. This ain't my words, people. I'm not telling you you are saved by baptism. I'm telling you Jesus said you are saved by baptism. And if anyone who is here who hasn't been baptized in Jesus' name or wants to be rebaptized because that's okay, we have the water. We can get it ready for you and we can baptize you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I'm closing right now. And to be truthfully honest, I didn't know how I was going to close this. I, I, I had two thoughts on my mind. I thought, man, maybe after teaching about baptism and how to be saved. Maybe there will be somebody that wants to get baptized and we'll just baptize them right now and we'll just have a Holy Ghost showdown. But God is getting ready to do something mighty. So we are apostolic, Pentecostal. We are holy people. We are oneness. We are born again believers. And not only that, we are worshipers. God has been so good to us. He deserves the worship. He deserves the praise. He deserves it all. And here's, the, uh, here's this. Here's the problem. Here's the statement. And once we were dead, but now we are made alive. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you have resurrection, the newness of life. The only thing that we're dead to is we're dead to sin. And But there's a big one. If you are, this is what the Bible says. If you are dead and if you don't worship that means you're still dead. Ah. If you can't worship a good God, if you can't praise him for his mighty acts, if you can't lift up the name of Jesus, you know what? You're still dead. And I ain't afraid to tell you that. You know why? For that scripture right there. The dead praise not the Lord. 
So if you're still dead, you won't praise. But if you've got the Holy Ghost, if you've got that same power, that creation power, that power that saved you and redeemed you inside of you, you're going to worship. You're going to be a worshiper. You're going to be somebody that lifts up the mighty name of Jesus. You're going to be somebody that praises him. Listen, and this is what I'm... I shouldn't have to get up here. Nor should my wife have to get up here. Nor should our pastor have to get up here and try to persuade you to worship him. When you walk into this building... When you enter into those double doors, you should be able to say, my God, you've given me breath in my body. God, I remember that horrible pit you brought me from. I remember that dark place that you took me from. Oh, put up if you could. Put up first uh, the first scripture I put up, First Peter, where it says, And ye shall show praises unto him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you've got the Holy Ghost and you walk into this building, there should be no devil in hell that can stop you from lifting up your hands and from worshiping a great and mighty God, a God that saved you. Come on, somebody. Somebody just hear what I'm saying. We are worshipers. We are people of the name bought with a price. We are worshipers of the most high God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Go ahead and stand with me because we're about to have just a little bit of a Holy Ghost showdown in this place. Now listen, right now, before we get started, I want every hand lifted, and I want you to begin to pray after me. God, you've given me the breath in my body. God, you've given me every part of my soul to be able to worship you. My hands aren't broken, but they are willing to lift up and worship you. And you've given me breath in my body. You've given me a cause to worship you. And if you truly believe that God has given you a breath in your body, Psalms 150, the very last, the very last verse of the Psalms, but says, let everything that hath breath stand still. No, stand there and do nothing. No, don't show your praises unto God. No, no, no. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. We are worshipers. If you're not ashamed to praise the Lord, let me see you clap your hands. If you're not ashamed, stomp your feet. Let me see you stomp. If you're not ashamed to praise the Lord, let me see you stomp. 